And welcome once again, Bears fans, to another episode of Bears Scat. I'm Thomas. I'm Jim. And we're going to be uh, kicking off something a little new today. Uh, we're going to do deep dive uh, into one of last year's games to kind of get it, do an overview of it, a little bit of analysis. But uh, first, uh, Jim, what you got? Yeah, that was just a fun idea that Tom and I had. I mean, it's funny, this time of the year, training camp kicks off and Woo-hoo! you're like, man, football is so close and... This morning I looked down at my phone and we're still, what, five and a half weeks out from <laughs> from Bears-Packers, so a lot going on in camp. Obviously, you see all of the play-by-play of each practice and everybody gets all excited or all worried. Look at that pass! All yeah. right, man! Ooh, the defense was on fire today! Yeah, I, I try to ignore most of it. I mean... It's practice. Tom and I were just talking about. I mean, do we really need to be? Practice. Do we really need people out there live tweeting practice? But <laughs> people read it, so nothing, nothing better to do. But I, I think the big thing that I always focus on is just health. And I think the Bears have had a lot of guys not practicing, and they don't talk about injuries in camp because they don't have to. But the one thing Eberflus has said is that if an injury is serious, we'll let you know. So I guess by that logic, the fact that he has not let us know, means that the guys are are just sitting out for day to day things, or maybe, or at least they have all their extremities. Yeah, that that would be serious. I mean, I'm pretty sure we've seen players show up to camp with no arms. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I I think that maybe what I just said is partially true too. I mean, maybe they're just being conservative because we're sure. you know six weeks almost until the season actually kicks off, but. I don't know. I mean, for me, I mean, there's been a couple of things. Anything that's caught your eye just in the first week or so of camp? Any any names to be mindful of? Well, uh, to me, um, number one to number two has been uh, the big buzz, uh, and rightfully so. Uh, I watched a really cool little interview um, with Brant from Good Morning Football. Yeah. Uh, he was, uh, outside training camp and he sat down with fields and more. And, um, I mean, you know, there's the, the buzz is that, that the two guys, it's almost like they were college roommates or something. Like they've known each other for a long time. Uh, they're obviously buddies already, which is, you know, you, what you do want to see that kind of cool rapport. And, um, you know, sideline guys are, are saying that there's just a, a natural flow uh, between the two of them. And then I've heard good things, of course, about uh, about Claypool, too, uh, coming out. But as you said, this is this is all practice right now. Um, this is the stage that they're they're supposed to be at those things. Um, the probably the, the biggest statement I saw was simply uh, Flus saying that Fields is looking so much better than he did last year at throwing the football. And that's what you and I thought we were going to see. And it's just, you know, it's obviously good to hear. Yeah, it is. I mean, good vibes are better than bad vibes, I guess. I mean, but you try not to overreact to this stuff too much. I mean, I think it was two days ago, apparently the offense had a really rough practice and Everyone was on Twitter talking about how bad the offense looked. And <laughs> Luke, Luke Getze came out and said, guys, we were playing seven on seven today. <laughs> like, it's not real football. So 
And coaches love that stuff too. Coach, coaches love when there's a bad couple practices in camp because it gives them an opportunity to yell and scream and to get in guys' faces. And Getsy was saying he did that. He said that there was some players that were a little lethargic or maybe didn't have the right energy, which is a little concerning. But he said he got in their face and was pretty fired up. So this, this is all part of it. Same stuff happens every year. I, right. I, I don't get too worked up over teams looking good or bad in the preseason. It, it's practice at the end of the day. No, the only time I ever get concerned is when you're reading about this guy left or this guy left. And right. it's it's as you were saying, you know, the coaching staff is not going to let anything out. Yeah. Um, even if, I mean, it, it's still gray area as to, well, if it's a serious injury, I'll tell you guys about it. Yeah, we've seen that before, right? Yeah, Where it, it certainly didn't come out for a while. So I, you know, that's really the only thing I ever um, that I ever grip my teeth maybe a little bit about is is when you see somebody that is an important starter uh, leaving, and you're like, uh, I hope everything's okay there because sometimes those soft tissue injuries, you know, your strained calf or hammy or uh, you know. Uh, bicep tears, those kind of things happen in camp. And even though they're not huge injuries, they can be lingering. Yeah, and we were talking about this when we were talking about the quarterback show the other the other episode, right? I mean, like, sometimes you, you don't really get a lot of opportunities to heal as an NFL player. Right. You're, you're playing a very physically demanding game. So, yeah, when you get nicked up, you know, it, it, it's hard to recover because you're getting hit over and over and over throughout the season. So, yeah, I, I hope that... For the most part, I mean, it's a long injury list already. I, yeah, I saw Tevin Jenkins is already hurt, so the season's officially kicked off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nate, Nate Davis, has I been saw out. that one. Um, Roshan apparently has not been practicing. There's a few others too. So you hope none of them are serious. You hope, like you said, it's more maintenance or veterans' days off in some cases. And it, and it has been really hot at training camp. Sure. So I mean, that's probably some of it too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're gonna. We're going to hear more about it. I know they didn't practice today. The, the Tevin Jenkins one is, is the one that is the most concerning sure. because that's an important player who's been injury prone. So the fact that he's already missing practice this early in camp is concerning. Yeah. But, you know, hope, hopefully nothing too bad. Um, we'll see going into this next week of practices if he's able to get back on the field or not. My alarms are up a little bit on Nate Davis. Yeah. Because. So when the Bears acquired him, I, I was kind of curious because he's young and he's a pretty good player. So I was like, why did the t- Titans let him go? And saw some noise on Twitter that him and Vrabel didn't really see eye to eye. Um, and the, over the past two days, I've heard both Biggs and Weederer kind of imply that it's that's a player that doesn't really like to practice very much, <laughs> which, which is interesting to me because everything that Poles and Ibraflus have talked about it and the guys that they sign are, they want the football character, the, the team captains, the guys that just love football. So it's a little weird to me that they would have signed a player that has that reputation of not wanting to practice. Right. And, you know, Nate Davis, he wasn't there for the, for the off season program, at least the voluntary portion. And now he's not, practicing in the early part of camp so it's just something that I'm keeping my eyes on and just the the things I was reading on Twitter are are in the back of my mind so we don't know him well you know he's a new player I mean I I haven't heard him do any interviews or anything and by all accounts very very good player when he's out there but 
know, you got to be out there. So we're going to see how that progresses. And then, yeah, I mean, you throw it in Tevin Jenkins and both guards being nicked up already, apparently. It's not not a great start. Well, as you said, you know, we're still weeks away. Um, you know, we, we get to, uh, we, we get through the preseason games and we're a week out from week one. And this kind of thing is happening. And, and, and then we have something to sweat a little bit. Um, obviously, we hope that that's not the case. And because going into this season with key personnel missing always sucks. And it seems like we get bit by that bug a lot. <laughs> so yeah. I, I hope that's not the case. Um, but, uh, you know, we're going to have to wait and see on. Yeah, I agree. Um, other thing I've been noticing, and this is something we speculated on, is I, I think Vilas Jones might be in a little bit of trouble mm. because, by all accounts, Tyler Scott's the real deal. Apparently, yeah. he he looks the part. He is learning the offense very well. He gets it. Apparently, he's also looks very natural as a punt returner. So, if he slides ahead of Vilas on the depth chart, and Vilas Jones is kind of locked in as the, the fifth wide receiver yeah. that you don't trust on special teams. I don't really know what, what role is available for him. So a lot of time left. I'll, I'll, I mean, there could be injuries that, that save his roster spot if somebody ahead of him goes down. Um, but just kind of early reports out of camp are that he's you know not necessarily making an impact, kind of same as last year. And with all the noise around how well Tyler Scott appears to be acclimating to the NFL, I mean, I don't know that Vilas is making this team, and I, I don't know if that's someone you can maybe stick on the practice squad or maybe just bury at the end of your roster to, and, you know, just he's inactive on game days or whatever. But I, I don't know what he's going to do for you if, if, if you don't trust him as the punt returner and if he's the fifth wide receiver. I mean, there's plenty of guys that can – receive a jet sweep and run around the edge, right? I mean, right. Equinemius St. Brown can do that. So yeah. that that is kind of the one early draft pick that is kind of looking like might be gone before year two, which would be a bummer. But Well, so far, my impression of Poles and Eberflus for uh, his coach, him and his coaching staff for that matter, they don't seem like they're going to, pull the well we'll just keep hanging on to the guy to see if we can have him do something it, 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 it isn't they're striking me as more decisive and early on making those kind of decisions than the previous regime uh, I don't feel like polls is going to have a lot of patience when it comes to that because in his mind, he is on a schedule, and he is clicking along. And if you don't fit into his into his vision, he doesn't seem like he will hesitate to eighty six you. So yeah, it, it, you know, I don't think if if they can't find us, if, if Valus Jones can't win himself a spot, you know, you just move on. That's that's what happens. And, you know, does it mean that he made a bad pick? Okay, so he made a, a bad, you know, a bad third-round pick. It's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's not a, a real big deal. Uh, but um, uh, we, we all pretty much agreed after the draft that it was a reach where he did. 
the way I read it was that he they really wanted him with a fourth, but we ended up trading our fourth, and so uh, Poles felt that he wasn't going to make it to the fifth, and so he used his third. Well, and, you know, so be it. Right, on Vilas Jones was was critical to the tank last year. I mean, he yeah he, he cost the Bears a couple games with, <laughs> with with ball security. So yeah, I don't know. It would be a bummer. I mean, ever since the draft that ever since the draft two years ago, I mean, everything that I've heard from Vilas Jones, I, I really liked. It's it's the kind of yeah, guy, me too. Seems like a nice guy. Seems like a hard worker and someone you want to root for, but. Didn't work last year, and I mean, if he's getting passed up by a rookie this year, like I said, I don't really know what he does for you, so plenty of time for that narrative to get reversed. I mean, Scott could struggle in the rest of camp, and Jones could pick it up. We're, we're going to see, but... Scott has a ton of speed. Yeah, I, I don't see him as being bad. He, he apparently has all the makeup you want. And like you said, it's just a burner. So yeah. I think he's going to be good. I think that's going to be a really solid fourth-round pickup for the Bears. And, yeah, I mean, Velas Jones, I mean, he's he's got the skill set. I mean, he's got the speed. He can be that weapon that yeah. you're looking for. It's just can he put it together? And if he does, I'm sure they'll find a spot for him because, you know, speed is, is the one thing you can't teach in the NFL. And if you're really fast, they'll find something for you to do. But, right. Yeah, if, if he's still struggling with catching the ball and with fumbles, I mean, it's, it's just something to something to watch in the preseason because that's a player that I'm sure will get a lot of meaningful preseason reps to see if he's put some of those issues from last year behind him. And if he, he struggles in the preseason, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's on the, the cut list. Yeah, and, you know, if, if, if like I said, if that happens, it happens. Um, I'm liking uh, the the quartet of uh, DJ Moore, uh, Claypool, uh, Mooney, and Scott. Uh, that that's looking pretty good. Certainly, leap year in, in front of what it was last year. Oh my god! So uh, <laughs> you know, he was to me. Poles is always looking for a guy to fill a spot, and it's not necessarily the most urgent spot. But he, it's like he is, um, it's like he's, he's like, okay, this, this guy does have some really great speed and he's available here and, you know, we, we could use that. Well, I guess he didn't work out and he lost the spot. Well, on to the next. Right. I, I think so. And like you said, it, it strikes me as a pretty pragmatic regime and yeah. they're not gonna, not gonna let one mistake be. But then twice, again, they signed they Pettis, you know? Yeah. But Pettis, I think was signed to be the punt returner. Yeah, and, and he's and he's hurt now. And, and so he's not really that great of a punt returner. No, I, I think if Tyler Scott shows that he can do that, I'm sure he'll get a chance in the preseason. Yeah, then that's your punt returner, and Pettis can go apply his trade somewhere else. Because yeah, that, that's another one. I mean, if 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 these guys that are these receivers at the bottom of the depth chart, you know, that's those are positions that are expected to contribute on special teams and. If you're not able to do that, I mean, there's not a whole lot of value for the fifth wide receiver that isn't really a huge threat in the game plan on offense and can't play special teams. So I, I could see them moving on from both those guys if Tyler Scott really uh, supplant, really locks in that, that fourth spot on the depth chart. And then you got Equinemius St. Brown, who, who can play special teams and who 
you know, they kind of used last year as that hybrid receiver tight end. And, you know, he, he's kind of an asset on run plays. I mean, that's, that's kind of your wide receiver room right there. And then maybe you have a six guy at the bottom of that. And maybe that's where Dante Pettis fits in, but right. you know, a, a long way to go. The preseason will determine a lot of this. It, it's definitely a, a competition to keep your eyes on. It's, kind of fun when you're talking about competitions between good players as yeah. opposed to last year where it's like well both these guys suck but we got to keep one of them yeah you know and i was thinking about that too i mean w- with the offense in particular that it's getting a lot of hype around just the national media it is people are saying man the bears really have a lot of talent on that offense and they they really do and it just got me thinking about i mean going into camp how many times could we say that there's really not a lot of position battles in terms of the starting offense right like i get that the running backs are, are fighting for playing time but they're all gonna play yeah and play. and receivers too. yeah and but you know you kinda, there's only one clear cut and that's more is number one and right. there's no question there but how the rest how they're how they're gonna mix the rest how Getsy's gonna mold that to me not only that's a reflection of the receivers themselves their talent and their work yeah. ethic but also how Getzey sees the scheme. And you know who the top guys are, for yeah. the most part. So, And on the line, I mean, that's pretty locked in. I mean, we had speculated that maybe there would be a competition at center, but it doesn't seem like there is. It seems like Whitehair is getting all right. the first-team reps. So, I mean, pretty much every spot on the offense, you've got a penciled-in starter that you at least feel okay about. Yeah. I mean, the Bears haven't been in that position in a long time. Yeah, not in a, in a very long time. Like, even... even uh, in the early part of the Nagy years, I mean, everybody hated Bobby Massey. <laughs> you know, like, I hated him before he even yeah. gained play for the team. Like your, your receiving core, I mean, your second receiver was Taylor Gabriel. Nice, oh my god, nice player. But you want a better second receiver than that. Yeah, and you know, you you were kind of scrambling at tight end because of Burton and Shaheen and all the misses there. So the Bears, I mean, there are questions on the offense still. I mean, both the tackles are, are young. Uh, we've talked about the injuries already to Davis and yeah. Jenkins. And, you know, there, there's competition when you're talking about kind of the depth at receiver. But for, by comparative standards to previous Bears teams, you feel pretty good about this offense. And I'm, I'm excited to see yeah. what they can do. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not a group of uh, all-stars. But um, it it is a group that could have some all-stars in it. And, uh, you know, did you see the video with, um, with Mike Greenberg talking about Justin Fields as the next superstar? No, I didn't see it. So he put this out, uh, Bears fans, uh, just a few days ago, uh, probably on Tuesday. He does a short video. It's probably about five minutes long and specifically talking about how he, believes that Justin Fields is the next superstar. He specifically uses that term. Um, it, it, it generated, of course, a lot of buzz in the Twitter sphere. Uh, it, it's uh, worth a look, uh, if you ask me. Um, and, of course, you know, he's, he's super hype about his Jets, uh, about 12 being out there. I guess Jets fans are absolutely in love with the guy. Um, yeah, I mean, he voluntarily gave up, like, $40 million. Like... <laughs> That I lo- I loved the pettiness of that too because you know in the back of his mind he's like 
yeah, I would never have done this for the Packers. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. The right. guy tanks their salary cap for two years and then goes to the Jets and just gives his money back, which I actually didn't think you were allowed to do, but yeah. apparently, apparently you are. But Florio was speculating, because apparently Rodgers, when he was talking about this, said that the money he quote-unquote gave up was deferred. So it makes me think he's still getting that money at some point. But regardless, I mean, it seems like he has done a a good job of endearing himself to the the fans in New York. Yeah, and, I mean, heck, I mean, when when you when you've been dealing with Zach Wilson and Geno Smith and Joe Flacco and just this cast of characters that's been the Jets quarterback room for the last twenty years. Yeah, I mean, you got to be excited about getting a, a Hall of Fame quarterback that. Maybe not at the peak of his powers, but I mean, still pretty good and certainly a lot better than what they've had in that room for a very long time. So I'm, I'm sure there is a lot of genuine excitement. I mean, that team is, is really good on paper. And last year, they would have been a playoff team if they had gotten anything at all out of their quarterback room. Yeah. And it was a complete disaster at quarterback, which is why they missed the playoffs. But I mean, if Rodgers clicks there, I mean, we could very well be talking about the Jets as a Super Bowl contender in the AFC, but we, we can get more into that as the season goes on. Yeah. I mean, the big question is, is it going to work? Is Rodgers going to mesh with, with that group? And Because we know there were issues w- w- with the chemistry on the Packers towards yeah. the end. I mean, as much as he wants to deny it, we know that there were problems. So we're going to see if... How, it, it's very easy to be... You know, sunshine and rainbows and camp, training camp. We'll, we'll see what happens when the pads come on. Right. So, uh, what we're moving on to is, like I said, we we've, we're we're going to do a new segment. We picked out a game from uh, last year, and we both went back and watched the game and made some notes on it. Uh, so, this week we're going to do uh, week nine of last year. Sunday, November 6th, uh, that was Dolphins 35, Bears 32. Uh, I think we all really enjoy. I, I, I rewatching the game. I really enjoyed the game. I remember enjoying it when it happened, except for the end. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, 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 overall, I feel like the team played well. Yeah, this was the game that I remember being the most excited afterwards because... I just remember thinking that it was kind of Justin Fields coming out party. Yeah. And it's kind of funny when you look back on a season and you remember what you were thinking at the time because the weeks preceding this game were so two weeks before they were playing the Patriots, I believe. Yeah. Which one one week before. So I think. The, the week before was the Cowboys game. Yeah. So I think it went Patriots. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Patriots, which was that great win in Foxborough. And then Cowboys, which was an ass-kicking. And then the Bears (laughs) traded both Roquan and Robert Quinn. So going into this Dolphins game, there were some questions about just, you know, how's the locker room? Are they just selling off everything that's not bolted down? Like, how's this going to go? And so for that game to have been so much fun to watch and for the offense to look as good as it did, and I guess, I mean... uh, when you think about them trading away Roquan on the opposite end, this was Claypool's first game. So they had made the Claypool trade and it was just a a really fun performance. I mean, going against a really good team. I mean, the Dolphins were a good on both sides of the ball, really good team in the AFC last year. And 
The only reason their season got derailed was because their quarterback got injured. But Tua obviously played in this game. Fields played, you know, for the Bears, and both offenses kind of put on a show. Um, what did you focus on going back and just kind of, I guess, what what did you take away from that rewatch? So, you know, um, just to start simply, what I wanted to see was just how the team reacted when they came out on offense. You know, uh, supposedly the first drive is uh, totally scripted out, and so... Uh, you can go out and you've practiced these plays that week and you can just follow the script. And uh, In retrospect, though, watching it, the very first play was a, a short rollout, quick slant to commit for seven yards. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because of the signing of commit. Mm-hmm. Um most Bears fans certainly believe that the kid deserved a new a new deal. He got a, a new deal that was a fair new deal, uh, yet at the same time not a break-the-bank kind of new deal. Um, he's worked his butt off since he's, uh, since he's come in there. Uh, big and young and fast, and I think he is set to have a really good season. As as a primary outlet for for uh, for Fields, yeah. And if I remember right, I mean, this Dolphins game was kind of his his coming out party too, in a way. The two touchdowns, which I think was the first time he had gotten to the end zone in quite a while. I yeah. think maybe since his rookie year, even. So, uh, like you said, I mean, it was it was clear that they involved him in the offense, and yeah, I really think that he is going to have a really nice year this year. We, we've talked about it before on this show that tight ends take some time to develop for whatever reason. And when he came into the league, he was very young. And I wouldn't say he struggled for a long period of time, but he definitely didn't make the impact that you'd want for someone drafted where he was. But I think especially towards the second half of last year, you could tell that he'd become a really comp- player and a big asset to the offense. I mean, one of the analysts that I loved listening to last year was Trent Dilfer. He did a weekly hit on the score. Oh, yeah. And I remember at, at some point during the year, he said, that's one of your best players on the team. I mean, you don't see somebody, you don't see many people in the NFL that can block to that level and also run high-quality NFL routes. And Komet can do both of those things. And I think his career is still trending upward. This isn't one of those contracts that you sign and you expect the player to fall off a cliff in a year or two I think you know the next five or six years of him could still be really productive and I think he could still be a really important part of the offense and definitely like you said that deal that he signed it's it's not set in the market it's kind of what you'd expect from a tight end that's hovering around top 10 in the league and I think that's about right I mean he's not in the upper echelon I don't think he ever will be up there with guys like Travis Kelsey George Kittle those types of players but I think when you start looking at the list of tight ends that are around that 8 to 12 range, I think Cole Komet fits in there quite nicely, and I think he's still going to keep improving. So yeah. I, I think that was just a, a smart move by Poles, showing that you'll reward players who are, you know, local guy made good, right? Yeah. But you'll, you'll just reward players that have come into this locker room and have done things the right way, and that are continuing to get better. So, yeah, good for Cole Komet. And, yeah, you showed up big in this game that, that we both rewatched. 
And then the second play was Fields drop back, um, and passes over the middle to Pettis, complete for 12 yards. Yes. Okay, now the reason I pulled that play out um, is, again, this is, this is the team that, no, they, you know, Fields can't pass the ball. He, he, he's only good at running. Now, you know, we're going to talk about the fact that he had an amazing day running the ball. Yeah. Uh, but the first two plays scripted out of the box are both passes. Right. Good passes. Good. Well, uh, I mean, well executed play uh, pass plays. That's what I mean. Because you could tell uh, with the decisiveness in both of the plays that th- he knew exactly where he was going and he timed it well and the receiver was there and there was a nice catch made. And, you know, this year... <laughs> We don't have to worry about Dante Pettis being on the field at the beginning of the game. Yeah, uh, you know that that spot would have that would have been Chase Claypool or or DJ Moore or you know Darnell Mooney. Any of those three guys are better than Dante Pettis. Right. So and most likely it would have probably been DJ Moore. So you know I just. I thought that, you know, it, it just in a small microcosm, it's like, you know, right there, he, he's coming out and he's like, I'm going to make the, gets, he's like, I'm going to make Miami's uh, defense back off a little bit because they do have a good front seven. I'm going to make them back off a little bit by immediately going to the pass when they're looking for me to run. Yeah, that's a good point. It's actually interesting, and sorry if I'm getting a little ahead of you here, but what, what I found kind of interesting and I didn't really remember noticing this the first time that I watched the game was a lot of these big runs that Fields had, he actually had like pretty decent protection. There were a couple where the protection broke down right away, but for the most part on his big runs, he was dropping back. He had time and he just pulled the ball down and and ran. Right. And that I didn't like go back and watch the all 22 to see like, was anybody open? I'm sure in most cases the answer to that is no, because your receivers were Dante Pettis and Equinemius St. Brown. So, <laughs> But you juxtapose that with what I was noticing from Tua during the game, and Tua kind of carved the Bears up for a lot of it. And it, it, it's how you hope it looks this year, because with Tua it was just drop back, put your foot in the ground, and that ball's out yeah. to, to a guy that's just wide open, running free. So that's what you that that was a big part of just how Miami moved the ball pretty effortlessly for a lot of the game was just within a, a second right as soon as his feet are set there's Tyreek Hill get him the ball that's what you hope for because with Fields what I was noticing again was it was you get the drop back you see him take a second to survey and then he pulls that ball down yeah and this year you hope that oh all right right away there's DJ or there's there's Claypool or Tyler Scott's running deep and you just hope that as you have more talent on this team I mean shoot there's two tight ends now that are viable pass catching options in this offense right. so you just hope that I was and I was kind of conflicted as I was watching it actually because on one hand like you want to see what I was just talking about which is that the offense is in rhythm and everything's on time but I also don't necessarily want to take away that ability of, of fields to improvise and to just kind of make something out of nothing so i'm not the offensive coordinator i'm not the one that has to balance between those right. two ideas but I'm, I'm really excited to see how Getzy does that because he is such a threat on the ground but 
man, when you see Tua just running that offense kind of perfectly, especially in the first part of the game, and just it's just touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. It's like, man, I, I could see that with this offense this year. Sure. And um, so uh, the, the first thing I'll tackle is what you were saying about Tua and his receivers. Well, number one, let's not forget that he was thrown to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Tyreek Hill was the number one receiver not named Justin Jefferson last year. First ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, and he had an enormous year. Uh, On that day, uh, he was targeted eight times and had seven catches for 143 yards and a touchdown. Um, Waddle targeted seven times, five catches for 85 yards and a touchdown. Both of those guys got a lot of yak as well. Uh, I actually felt like the defense did a fairly good job on uh, on covering for uh, against Tua, um, considering the weapons that he had at his disposal and uh, the offensive line that he has. He has a good offensive line, but. You know, I mean, going up against those two receivers is going to be a load for any team in the NFL. And uh, I, I felt like it could have been a total blowout. Right. And, and it wasn't. Um, they were able, uh, throughout the game, I felt like more in the second half than in the first, the defense actually was able to get back there and get some pressure on Tua. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to point out was... Um, as far as the pressure was concerned, is there was at, there was at least two, if not three, plays that um, oh, there was three plays that could have been called intentional grounding. They were pretty sad, as far as I was considered. And you know, you had to get pretty technical on the rules as to whether a receiver was in the area or not. He actually got called for one of them. Uh, at, towards the end of the game, I think they actually picked that one up. Uh, they they did they they picked it up. I thought so. I was watching the condensed game. Yeah, I was too. Um, so maybe they did. But pick I it mean, up. I if you remember, I mean, the officiating in that game was just brutal. It was it was brutal. But all I'm saying is is that whether they were called or not, there was three plays that he did intentional grounding. Right. By by the rules, he did intentional grounding. Whether they decided that somebody was close or not is not what my purpose was in watching it. My purpose was, was our defense applying the right amount of pressure there to make him throw that ball early? And the answer was yes. Yeah, the defense did have their moments. I mean, the first half of the game was pretty ugly. I think the first three or four drives, Miami got into the end zone and pretty effortlessly. I think think three of four. Yeah, but... At the end, I mean, in the second half, the defense did have their their moments. They did get some pressure at times. Um, Justin Jones actually was in the backfield quite a bit. He was. Um, And Tua helped him out a little bit, too. He missed a couple of really open throws. Also, Dominique Robinson got called for uh, roughing the passer at about like our our 20-yard line. And as far as I could tell, that was a total BS call, too. But uh, I wasn't able to watch the, the whole thing because, as you said, we were watching the condensed game. But 
I'm just saying, we were in the backfield some. Now, were we able to complete those plays, which is really, obviously, that's the important part, right? you gotta, you got to be able to complete it. No. But it, to say that the Bears' uh, pass rush in that game was non-existent, I certainly don't think was the, was the case. Yeah, I mean, the defense last year didn't get a lot of positive <laughs> right a lot of positive feedback and rightfully so but i mean i remember watching that game and thinking i mean when they had to step up and make plays they they did at times and they just weren't working with a a full deck of cards you know it was just like the talent wasn't there we hope it's better this year and i mean i i liked justin jones last year i i thought he made some plays i'm, I'm glad he's back and yeah, he definitely showed up, and the other, I mean, the other thing was, I mean, you, you kind of, as you're watching the game again, you, you are running through the Fields and Tua comparisons in your mind. I mean, Fields can do things that Tua just can't. I mean, Fields is a lot more mobile. You, there was the one, there was... A lot more mobile. Like, Tua is moving in slow motion compared to him. Like, did you watch, I, I'm sure you've probably got notes on the play towards the end of the game where the Bears turned them over on downs. Yeah. Tua had a guy wide open. Wide open. And missed him. But yep. the other thing I noticed was that he could have just easily run for the first. There was nobody even on that side of the field. And he, he did he didn't he doesn't run much. Yeah. And, he, and I remember one play where he did run and he ended up running for maybe one yard gain. Yeah. So I think Fields, I mean when you compare those two, he he can do everything Tua can. I mean Tua's accurate he really took a step forward last year but man when you just see the the talent that fields has i i i really was kind of getting excited watching that game just by watching miami's offense because yeah, i mean so another one another thing i pointed out here as far as you know we're talking about miami's passing game is on two specific plays and i saw this it saw this a little bit throughout the game I'm seeing Brisker on Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. And I'm like, how is that happening? And it happened multiple times. How is our in-the-box safety ending up against two of the best receivers in the league? It might have just been the best option. <laughs> no, you know, and, and I don't know what it was. I mean, it, it, but it, that can't happen. I mean, if we want to be a winning team, our defensive coordinator has to do something that 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 our in the box safety, who's not out there to be a coverage guy, is not ending up against top flight receivers. It's like these are the kind of conversations we didn't really have much of last year. Yeah, because like the defense was just so bad. It was. Like, I mean, overall for the year it was. But I'm just saying in this one game, they didn't play that bad. I mean, when you look at the scoring drives of the first half, uh, the Dolphins uh, scored uh, two touchdowns. Um, the, the third touchdown they scored was the blocked punt, which was a total screw-up by our special teams. Yep. And um, they missed a field goal before the half. So, I mean, it wasn't like they came out and just went all-out bombs on us and, you know, almost ran us out of the stadium in the first half. You know, they, we, at, at, at half, it's, 20, it's a 21-17 game, and one of those, 20, one of those touchdowns is, is our own goof. Yeah, blocked punt, right? I mean, the blocked punt was brutal. 
phenomenal. <laughs> you cannot give up a blocked punt for a touchdown in any game at the NFL level, period. You can't do it. Because it will kill you every time. That's the that's the game right there. Oh yeah, it changed it. It, it for sure did. I mean, that that's just free free points. And we were talking about it before the episode. I mean, Herbert just completely blew the block on that one. Yeah. Let's hope not to see him in punt protection this year. I mean, as a guy, even the commentator was like, "Wow, they didn't even the the, the defender didn't even have to use his hands there." He kicked it into his chest. Yeah, it was... What? It was about as bad as it gets. I mean, that, that that's why you draft Roshan Johnson. That's why you sign Travis Homer, so that you've got running backs that can actually play special teams. Let, yeah. Let Khalil Herbert focus on on, on carrying the football. <laughs> I mean, that, that was about as bad as it gets. I, I can't remember if, if they took him off special teams after that, but I hope they did. Um, and, and, and yes, they're... Um, the reason I'm the reason I'm making such a big deal also about the defense is they were playing against one of the better offenses in the NFL. Yeah, at, at least they're at least a top ten offense. I think they're closer to five. And um, this was when their offense, the Dolphins' offense, was really clicking. You know, this was before Tua started to get hurt. Um, you know, two great uh, receivers, a uh, revitalized rushing game that they got, good offensive line. I, I'm just saying, for how bad our defense was last year, it wasn't that game. Yeah, and like like I was saying, it's just like last year we weren't really evaluating the defense even. Like when the Bear, right. when the Bears defense would go on the field, I was like, all right, time to go get another, <laughs> time, time to go get a, a beer or time to time to chat with my friends because I need some chicken wings, please. Yeah. It's like, I mean, am I going to sit there and break down the tape of Nicholas Morrow and <laughs> Joe Thomas? Like, no, you, you knew that it was probably going to end in a touchdown and let's, let's get back to watching Justin Fields. So. Oh, uh, in my notes, I wrote, uh, I wrote, Morrow was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Steaming hot pile of garbage. Made a, made a couple tackles. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like, as the expectations are higher this year, I mean, this is one thing that I was thinking about as I was watching the game again, because we had talked a little bit before the episode just about the coaching in general, and I was like, yeah, I don't even remember last year really even thinking about the coaching at all, other than Luke Getze, because... The defense, it was just like, what are you, what are you watching? Like, it, it's terrible. Yeah. But I think this year, I mean, there should be some pretty real expectations for this defense, and I think that's going to help us evaluate Eberflus and Williams a lot more. And in general, I just think the Bears are going to be playing in closer games too. So that'll also help. But I feel like last year was just such an incomplete on the coaching. Like, if you ask me for, like, my strongest thought on Matt Eberflus right now, I don't really know what I would say. Yeah, I, I, I got to I gotta admit that, too. Yeah, other yeah. than, other than I, I, I feel like he is a very determined and focused coach. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, seems to get the guys to play hard for the most part. Seems like he loves football. I mean, I don't know. We just didn't really talk about him that much because... It wasn't really the focus, and the Bears weren't in a ton of games where coaching really seemed to matter. Well, the roster was the biggest buzz last year because it was so bad. Yeah, so this year, I mean, that all changes, and 
believe me, I mean, the honeymoon's going to be over for, for all these guys. I mean, if the Bears go 5-12 and 12 this year, I mean, Bears fans are going to be wanting a change at head coach, I think. And they're going to want, especially if Fields looks good and the offense looks good and the defense just is terrible again. Fans are going to be wanting a change in leadership there. So these guys, I mean, they, they had their first year. Yeah. And they were the worst team in the league. And really nobody had a bad word to say about them. But that all changes this year. And actually, one thing while we're on the subject of coaching, did you have on your list the play where it was the direct snap to Cole Komet? Yeah, I totally forgot about that, actually. <laughs> so, like, I that... thought that was kind of brilliant. Oh, I hated it. Oh. <laughs> oh, man, I hated it. So, was it third and one or fourth and one? It was fourth and one. So, this is the kind of thing that drove me nuts last year, just from an offensive coaching perspective. When you have a third or a fourth down in short yardage and you need... Or wait, no, was it third and one? Yeah. Like when it's a critical play and you need a yard, stop taking the ball out of Justin Fields' hands. Oh, you know? yeah. Like, That's true. Like, he's the best player on the field. He's the most athletic player on the field. Let him take the ball and figure out what to do with it to get you that yard. Because this happened all the time last year with Getsy, where it's like third and two opponents 25 you need two yards it was third and one hand off to montgomery it's like stop giving the ball to people that are not as good (laughs) i made i made a note of that um because on that very first drive um you know uh fields has the has the team moving down moving chains right and then uh suddenly we get down there uh in the 20-ish area and what do they do they give the ball to monty yeah and zero game yeah, it's just an, that's not even a shot at David Montgomery. It's just Justin Fields is the better athlete. Yeah. And he also can throw. Yeah. So, like, there, there was a play later on in the game where they needed a couple yards, and it was kind of a designed rollout, and he kind of had the option to either tuck it and run or to throw, and he ended up throwing to, I think, Komet, and they got the first down. It's like, put the ball in your best player's hands. And... I know that one's he he's being chased out, right? Yeah, I think yeah. So. And I know that like the Chiefs do some of this stuff where they do kind of the funny trick plays, but like you're not the Chiefs. Yeah, you know the Chiefs know that every single drive they've got a chance to score a touchdown. The Bears don't have that luxury. So when you are facing critical short down and distance, let Justin Fields make the play. I, I hope well, that and, changes and you know, this year. That play you're talking about was almost the exact same play as the first touchdown that Komet gets. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, you know, watching the game after all this time, you know, you, you forget some things. And I, I forgot how brilliant that play was. Uh, you know, again, like you said, put the ball in Fields' hands. He's the most talented player out there. He rolls out heavy, heavy pressure, single pressure, but heavy pressure, gets rid of the ball right in time, gets it to commit, got the first down, but you have EQ down there uh, laying a good block, and yeah. hey, he's in the end zone, and he's swinging for his home run. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I mean, I thought Getzey called a pretty good game overall. I mean, even like the two-point conversion that they yes. converted. I can't. Great two-point conversion, yeah. by the way. Not a lucky two-point conversion, a very designed play. Yeah, it was a great play call. I can't remember the guy's name that caught it. Um, uh, <laughs> Wesco. Whoever. So, like, I mean, I thought... That will be Tanyan. Yeah, and exactly. And I thought 
I mean, even the, what they did with Claypool, as I was watching the game, I was like, why didn't, why wasn't this the game plan with Claypool all along? Because right. it was exactly what he's good at. I mean, I, on the first drive, Claypool gets jammed, beats the jam, gets a little bit of separation, Fields throws the ball up, he ends up getting dragged down, and it's P.I. Yeah, it's like a third, but you know what? Game. I watched that play multiple times. Fields' ball is perfectly placed. Yeah. Perfectly. Yeah, there's a reason. But, that, I mean, they, like you said, he gets dragged down. Right, he gets tackled. So, th- I mean, that's what Chase Claypool is good at. Maybe that's what they're going to have him do this year. It's just, you don't even need to know. Big body. Yeah, you don't need to know every player in the route tree. Just go run down the field and try to, <laughs> try to, try to make something happen. Which, you know, by all accounts, apparently he's having a really good start at camp. So that's, that's encouraging. But, you know, just the, the way they used him in that game... Like, what changed after that? Because Claypool had a couple of other really simple routes that were nice gains. There was one he just kind of caught a quick hit, and he just made a guy miss and ended up getting an extra 10 yards or so. And then and that was one of those to the almost a lateral, yeah, exactly. to the sideline, behind the line of scrimmage. The bubble screen. God, I hate those <laughs> things. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. He, he catches the ball, maybe one-yard gain. Uh, makes a guy miss, gets first down. Yeah, exactly. So I long strider. May, may, like I hope they went back and watched the tape of that game in the off season, and we're like, man, how can we maximize our investment in this player? Because Claypool made a big impact on that game. I mean, we talked about the pi. He drew a second pi at the end of the game, which was the most egregious non call I've ever seen. It, it was, like, it, you know. So the the thing is, is we we can talk about we can talk about that. Uh, I just I simply wrote worst pi non call ever. In a, uh, in a, in a, it, it was it was so I couldn't I I had for I I must have blocked it out uh, of my memory because I couldn't believe how horrible that was in a league where they can't wait to throw the flag. It was, and the referee is right there. It's like, dude, what were you paid? It's like th- these guys throw flags. On both roughing the passer and on pass interference, on the most ticky tack, yeah. Just if you're breathing on the guy, the flag's coming out. Like in that game, how? How? Yeah, right before it, they got Eddie Jackson for one that. And it was a terrible pass interference call. Yeah, but it was. It was. It, it was. It he, was um, you know, I, I watched that one also multiple times. Jackson watching the ball whole way. Waddle runs into Jackson trying to get position yeah. and gets the PI call. But I mean, that's just the league. I mean, they're going to throw the flag. If there's contact, they're going to throw the flag. So how they didn't on that Claypool play is just beyond me. And then, of course, the next play is the infamous throw that St. Brown drops. And yeah. that's, that's basically the end of the game. Yeah. So, I mean, Claypool changed that game. I mean, if, if that PI flag gets thrown... The Bears have the ball in field goal range down three with 90 seconds to go. So there's at least a very good chance that they tie it, and there's a chance that they get into the end zone there with how the offense was was performing in that game. So I don't know what changed from there to the next six games that Claypool played. but Agreed. I mean, it was just night and day, and I, I hope they figure out a way to, to use that film as teaching and, and that use some of those same concepts this year because the guy has the talent. I hope they figure out a way to, to maximize it. 
Yeah, it was. Um, it, there was there was some good stuff on both sides of the ball. Um, I felt like uh, Justin Fields uh, really did a pretty good job of commanding the game. Um, I also believe that he was doing a good job of reading what they were giving him, and they kept giving him running lanes. Uh, and he was making them eat it every time. And, of course, the gorgeous 61-yard run, which to me is one of the best quarterback runs I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, not to over-exaggerate. Uh, it's just an amazing play. Um, it, it just shows how incredibly versatile he is and his speed. Um, yep, I'm faster than you. <laughs> well, he, he says to everyone, and that's the thing. It's like people. I, I've heard, I've heard a lot, of, a lot of hype about the Bears, but I've also heard people that are like, "Yeah, we think Fields is going to take a step back." I'm like, there is so much to work with on this offense here because you've got a really good receiving room, you've got your tight ends, I think you've got a good running back room, and your quarterback is this insanely dynamic athlete that can just turn something into nothing pretty much every time. So it's going to be fascinating to see how they balance all of that and try to make uh, NFL offense out of it because I could I, I could see them wanting to turn him into more of a pocket passer and just feed DJ Moore and feed Darnell Mooney and Tanyan and Komet, but I could also see them building an offense more around just his ability to run because defenses aren't going to be able to stack the box and – Right. Because they've got a lot of guys that they have to worry about covering now. It's not like it's Dante Pettis and Isaiah Coulter and guys you can pretty much just line up one-on-one and they're probably not going to beat you. I mean, you've got to divert actual attention to multiple skill position players now. Yeah, one time the, the, one of the talking heads was like, uh, yeah, they've got 10 guys on the line right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, 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 there, we realize that uh, you know, last year they dealt with a lot of uh, a lot of upfront up pressure, just like you were saying, simply because they were pretty one-dimensional. Yeah. And the uh, variables uh, have expanded. And uh, you know, there, there's no way that they can just ignore DJ Moore. We don't have to prove DJ Moore is number one. He was a number one before he even got there. So. That's that's a big help because we automatically have a guy that uh, that opposing defensive coordinators know is a true threat. Absolutely. I mean, I think Bears fans. I don't think people appreciate how good DJ Moore is. I think he's really he he is really good. I think after four or five games, Bears fans are gonna be like, oh yeah, like we're just not used to seeing it. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. And he's to. just underrated because he was on terrible offenses in Carolina. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that pretty quickly Bears fans are going to recognize as the best receiver that we've had since Brandon Marshall. I, I, I already believe that, and I, like you said, I think that's going I, I to come to the, the forefront uh, pretty quickly. But, um, you know, and, and that showed, again... Uh, you know, we were playing against Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. Yeah. Those guys are really good. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, Hill had a, just a huge day that day. He was on fire. Um, and uh, having that complimentary and Waddle, 
is is a great one-two combination. So considering that game could have been a total blowout, that's why I was probably given uh, Tootin the, the defense's horn a little bit. Um, they did get some pressure. They did get some hurries. Uh, they also, um, I, I did note that they also caused a, for, uh, a fumble mm-hmm. um, uh, by by Tua, but Tua was able to fall on it real, real quickly. So they, they were getting some, they were mixing it up some in the backfield, which was a surprise to me because I didn't remember that. No, I didn't really either. And <laughs> Probably because they never did it again. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, to your point though, I think the Dolphins were up, what, 11 at some point early on in the game. I mean, they could have just let go of the rope, but they battled back. And I mean, I, I truly believe if that call gets made, that PI call, I, I think the Bears win that game. They at yeah. least get it to overtime. I will tell you, as I was thinking about it and I was watching the the Dolphins offense, just how efficient they were for a lot of it, I was just like, man, how, how good would Mike McDaniel have been coaching Fields? <laughs> because, like, Tua is so much slower than Fields. And, oh, and, <laughs> wow. And, Watching him run was like, wow, I didn't know he was that slow. And he doesn't have the arm either. I think like, Kirk Cousins is faster than Tua. I'm just like, man, Mike McDaniel coordinating this offense with Fields and more and, you know, whatever. That's not who we hired, so you don't want to think about it too much. But, man, that guy... I think could have just had a field day coaching this offense. But I, I, I got to say though, um, watching that game, I was not like overly impressed with Tua. Uh, I mean, I thought, I thought he did a good job in the game. I thought he did a good job of finding uh, receivers who are excellent at getting open, wide open, uh, you know, uh, and, and against a, a really shaky secondary. Uh, so, but um, no, I was not blown away by him. Um, I, I really thought uh, that he, he, you know, per the hype, he he should have had a bigger game. Well, I remember thinking at the time, like if you switched the quarterbacks, Bears are losing that game by a lot more than three. <laughs> you know, like if Tua was the Bears quarterback and Fields was the Dolphins quarterback, yes, that game's fifty to nothing. I, I, I agree. So I, I agree with you. I mean. The reason the Bears had the ball with a chance to win that game was because Tua missed wide-open throws on not one but two of the final drives. Definitely. So, you know, and I, as much as I was just pumping up McDaniel, I wasn't a huge fan of the Dolphins' play calling down the stretch of that game either. I thought that they got a little conservative, and you know, that, that might be why the Bears' defense was able to get some pressure. Yeah, the second to the last drive um, before the— They were the, handing the, it off. It was, wasn't that a weird drive? I mean, I was watching this and I'm like, are we in bizarro world suddenly? What the hell? It was like this super conservative, you know, let's try and save it for, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know what that was. I didn't either. I was like, we've had success pretty much all game doing one thing. So we're going to do something else now. It was, that was completely it. And it, that drive, um, you know, that's the kind of, you know, like you said, the coaching staff is not going to have as much leeway as they did last year. No. And uh, while I don't know, you know, whether uh, right now I'd have to say that if Bears fans are screaming for a replacement at the end of the at the end of the 
at the end of the season. I still think that will be premature. I'd like to see this coaching staff at least get a full three years to try and get this thing right, especially with all the rest of the changes that are happening with the team. But I'll tell you what, at the same time, Getze's learning curve definitely showed up in multiple games last year. And that one was pretty blatant. You and I both watched the game again independently. And we both know exactly what drive we were talking about. And it was just a, just a bizarre drive. Uh, especially where they were on the, on, the, on the scoreboard. What the situation is. How much time is left. They, t- they completely take, uh, take their foot off the gas. Like you said, they're handing the ball off. It's extremely conservative, and it just felt like a dud. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the things that I'm most excited about this season for is just getting back into, like, actual, like, evaluation mode. Because towards the second half of last year, it's just like, eh, we wanted to lose. right i don't really care how they get there and that was this you know that's one of the reasons that i wanted to kind of go in the middle of the year because i was thinking to myself and it's like when i looked when i was looking through games i was like wow that 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 game is a good game to watch you know week nine you know that was the first weekend of november at home at at soldier uh you know uh, the the, and i i thought i felt like we watched two teams that were both rolling, uh, you know, pretty much firing on, on all cylinders. You know, um, nobody major was missing from either team as far as injuries are concerned. So we got to see pretty full rosters going up against each other. And considering where the Bears ended up and considering where the Dolphins ended up, you know, definitely at two opposite ends of the spectrum, I felt like the game was pretty well matched throughout the whole game. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun looking back. I, I agree with you. I, I remembered it as being one of the best games of the year just in terms of watchability. And right. I enjoyed the rewatch, too. It was fun. You know, I, I noticed some things I didn't notice the first time. And it's fun because, like, when you're in the season, it's kind of like it's go, go, go. Especially, right. like, with us doing this podcast. It's like, all right, you watch the game once and then we rewatch it. And it's kind of it kind of goes fast. And yep. then we, we hurry up to get the episode out. And then it's kind of like, all right, we prep for next week. So. Yeah. It, it was fun to kind of just sit back and kind of just take it all in and actually rewind a few plays multiple times and watch them. So it was, I enjoyed it. There's some really good stuff in there, Bears fans. Of course, there's also the huge touchdown catch uh, by um, Darnell Mooney. Thing of beauty, great pass, great catch in front of Xavier Howard, by the way. Uh, so, you know... Um, Fields was doing some damage with his arm too against a very good secondary. So it was it was a it's a a really fun game to watch with the worst ending I think of any NFL game I've ever seen. Uh, I, I I couldn't believe how bad that call was uh, that non call um, at at the end. I mean I really felt like I was remembering it in an exaggerated fashion. And then when I saw it again, I was like, I think that was worse than the first time I actually saw it. Yeah, it didn't get better. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, thanks again for tuning in, guys. Uh, we enjoyed it. Um, 
Go uh, check uh, that game out on NFL Plus if, yeah. you, if you have that. If you want to get excited for the Bears, watch the Dolphins' offense for most of that game and just think of that as maybe what the Bears can do this we, year. It, there was definitely some similarities there, except, uh, as you said... Our um, quarterback's way better. Our quarterback is way better and far more... Uh, a far better athlete than, than Tua is. So, uh, uh, anyway, bear down. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Bear down.